thank you for joining us again tonight. Longo Spaces. Kalia is joining as my co-host. Kalia. Kalia is an analyst from MarketMark. So you can say hi, Kwanzaa. Hi, everyone. As Eric has mentioned, I am a analyst at Kenya's MarketMark. Uh, it's a podcast that basically discusses events uh, in the capital markets. A few months ago, we discussed and our stock of the week. It was an interesting discussion there. Thanks, Eric, for having me. Now it's time to introduce the CEO. Julius, uh, say hi and introduce the team. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. And welcome everybody to this uh, conversation. Today we are discussing Jubilee Life. With me here are five of my colleagues. The first one is Will Broda Odera, general manager for retail life and pensions. Uh, accompanying her is Ruth Kimeo, the operations manager for retail life and pensions. We also have Peter Ward, head of annuities, and we also have Joel Ojambo, our head of marketing and communication in the life company, and is also with us here. Is our public relations officer. So that's the team that we have. We hope this will be an interesting conversation about life insurance generally, but you can ask us also questions on the insurance industry as well. We should be able to answer those questions. Interesting that Kalia was talking about, we were the stock of the week. Good to know that uh, our life insurance company it's owned by Jubilee Holdings, the holding company where I am, myself. We are spread in five countries, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Burundi, and Mauritius. So we have recently split our operations in all these countries into three companies, mainly the life company, which deals with mainly life insurance and pensions and annuities. And then of course, the health business, the medical and the general insurance business. We have done that the three countries of East Africa and also we split it two-way Burundi. We have the life business and the general business, which includes the medical. And then in Mauritius, we only have a general business. As you are aware, in 2020, we entered into a partnership with Allianz, the largest general insurer in the world. We sold a part of our general insurance business minus medical. So it, it, they never bought shares in the holding company. They actually took a shareholding of the general insurance business only. Now the general insurance business constitutes around 12% of the overall business. So they took 8% of overall business. I just wanted to clarify that because many people got confused. What did Allianz uh, come to do? They just actually only bought into the general insurance business minus the health business. So that is my summary for now, Mokaya. Back to you. Well, a quick one before you let's talk a little bit of the general business before you get into the integrity of now the life insurance aspect of it. So yeah. why do we focus only on maybe taking up general insurance and not the medical part? I know they're a global business. What do they bring to the table and what do you bring to the table with this partnership that you have now? Okay. Thank you. That's a good question. Allianz, first of all, is the largest general insurer in the world. So their level of expertise 
credible. Similarly, they also have field systems over the years so that they have understood the general insurance business pretty well. Now, generally in the world, the general insurance business is now a commodity and therefore as Jupiter not have very strong competitiveness handling general insurance business in our region. We have very strong competitive the health business and in the life business. In fact, for both of those, we are the largest in East Africa. But the general insurance business minus health, we were a small player. And so therefore, wisdom, the board then made a decision to say, why don't we invite those who understand this business pretty well? We combine our competencies, our local brand, and Alliance, which is a global brand. And by bringing the two together, we create a highly competitive company. In fact, the name we gave to the joint company is Jubilee Alliance General Insurance. So that is the reason why we brought the two global competence and local experience. That's a great combination. Uh, so a quick one now, before we get into life insurance and its own. So what's the difference between general and life insurance? For, and what is insurance for someone who's new at this? Now, life insurance is about long term. It's basically around, involves around a savings product. And you attach insurance to whether it's about a pension, some individual life policy, or an annuity, which you are managing your funds, which are spread over a long period of time. So it basically relates to a time period. Life insurance is policies which are more than one year, and general insurance are policies which are less than a year. So they are renewable every year. So when you look at general business, it is largely in three parts, which is the health business, what you call the property business, and the casualty business. So usually you call it PNC, then health. Whether you talk about home insurance, uh, motor insurance, in fact, if you go to general companies, typically half of the general insurance business minus health motor. Then you talk about fire risk, anything which over one one year period, that is general insurance. If you find many companies combine health and general insurance, and they call it one thing, which is general insurance. But for us, because we have very strong competence in the health business, as we speak actually, a jubilee of the 21 companies do health insurance business, jubilee accounts for 21% of that. So we have strong and dominant the health business, and we have built very strong competence over the years. And so that is why we account for that dominance in the market. Perfect. It seems like you're a company that understands your strategic advantages and then you seek to protect the weaknesses by looking for strategic partners to help you along that way. Uh, I think that's what I get. Exactly. That was the reason why I invited Adion into our space. So you don't have to be jack of all trades in business. You do what you are strong and competent. Definitely. Now we'll switch over to your team so they can give us a bit of a breakdown in terms of life insurance. So I don't know who can start. Kalia, do you have a question on life insurance? Do you want to know something? Yeah, I think just to, to start from the basics, assuming uh, taking this as a class, 
on life insurance. So the basics is what is life insurance? How can someone get life insurance? And is there an eligibility criteria when it comes to life insurance? Okay, that's a good question. Let me give this now to Will Broda, who will then start us off. She's the general manager in charge of retail life and pensions. Over to you, Will. Right. Thank you, Julius. And thank you also, Mokaya, for having us uh, today. It's really a, a pleasure that we are here to discuss this very important subject on life insurance. Because from my own personal experience, <clears throat> I have seen the impact that this has had to individuals. And especially because that life insurance majorly looks at financial risks. And we look at the journey of an individual, assess what risks they face, and look at what the impact of these risks have in a financial perspective to the individual's family or to the individual looking at what their goals and objectives were in life. So what we do in life insurance is we do assess an individual. We ask what risk do you face as you go through life? We say from cradle to grave, what are the risks we face? Then breaking it down to what are the financial risks that we face? And then what can we then do to mitigate against either financial loss that we would incur as a result of these risks materializing or our inability to meet financial obligations that are known and we can then plan for this. So in a nutshell, that's what life insurance looks at. Of course, we look at being a contract that we are getting into, we would ensure that we are getting into this contract with someone who is at least above 18 years of age because that's what's uh, allowed within the law. So that's the basic, 18 years and above, you can get a life insurance policy. Now, life insurance is structured in two levels, as I'd mentioned. There are those products that mainly focus on the risk. And when I talk about risk, I'm looking at death, disability, critical illness, we look at loss of your job, either uh, mostly through retrenchment or being declared redundant, and as I've mentioned, disability as well. So those are the main risks we look at when um, designing our life insurance products. And then we also look at, as I mentioned, the risk of inability to meet our financial obligations. And that's where we also put a savings element to our life insurance policies just to give people the discipline they require to build a savings so that they can meet these financial obligations. And as we go through life, there's the accumulation phase where we are gainfully employed or are in business. So that's the phase where we accumulate funds. And there's the distribution phase where at retirement, after we've accumulated our funds, are we then able to meet our financial obligations even in retirement? As a young investing Kenyan, why should I think that far into the future? Okay, it's critical to invest. And I mean, to think about the future. One, because we will not forever be employed or be able to carry out a business that will help us build an income. So we really need to create the culture and to save money such that in the future, we will be able to meet our financial obligations. So, and the earlier one starts saving, 
the higher the funds can grow and then they'll be able to meet their obligations. So it's very critical to start saving quite early in life. Perfect. Keep going. Yes. As I mentioned, when we look at an individual's life, so we structure products. So we have the life products that then give one an avenue of accumulating the funds. And once, say you have met your goal, so you've accumulated your funds, you're either accumulating it for purposes of educating your children or purposes of buying an asset. You could also be accumulating the funds such that on retirement, you have a safety net or a fund that you can then use to meet your expenses. So that's where the pension products will come to play and what we call the annuities. And annuity is basically an income for life post-retirement. So in a nutshell, that's what life insurance is all about. Uh, we talk about risk, of well, mentioned of death, disability, critical illness, and financial losses that could incur when this risk materialize. And then also within the product, we inbuilt a savings element such that, yes, you're taking care of these risks, but you're also building a fund to meet certain non-financial obligations that would come in the future. Good one. So a question now would follow up is about who are the beneficiaries of life insurance policies in this case, but then for life insurance, who benefits if I take up uh, these products? All right. Thank you for that question. So yes, it's very critical um, at the point of taking up any life insurance product to have a nominated beneficiary. So the first beneficiary of the product is the individual who takes this policy because no one takes a policy with the thought of if I pass on or if I become disabled. People take policies with the belief that they will live to the term of the policy and will then get the maturity benefits or the full sum of the fund they've accumulated. But in the unfortunate event that say I've taken a policy and I do not stay to the end of the term, then yes, the, within the application process, we do allow for you to nominate the people you would want us to pay. So it could be the children or a spouse. Yes. So you do as the insurance, the person who has taken the policy, have the liberty to choose who you want to be paid in the event of uh, death or you're not here. But primarily, the benefit of the policy is to the individual who has taken it, such that when the term of the policy ends, they then get the benefit of the policy. You have some questions here? Yes. So just uh, some follow-up question. On the policy, so Kenya's minimum term and date is around 16 years. So if someone is taking a, a life policy, does that mean that I have to hold it until 60 years or are, do they have different maturity dates? And on the amounts that someone can pay as an annuity for your policy, is it standard or is it different according to someone's age, someone's, what they're doing, their career, are some careers considered more dangerous? Uh, than others that would cause you to be charged to maybe more along the term of an insurance or the life policy. Maybe you could shed more light on that. All right. Uh, thank you so much for that question. So life insurance contracts are pretty much best in the sense that at the time of taking the policy, you as the insured would come to us and say, I want to 
take this cover for say five years, six years, seven years, eight years. We cover that all the way to 20 years. So as I mentioned, the minimum age at entry is 18 years. So one can take a policy from say 18 years and it matures if they take the shortest term, which is five years, it will then mature when the individual is 23. We do allow for entry ages up to the age of 65. So meaning a 65 year old can then accumulate the funds up to age 70. Now, so that means that there are different maturity dates. It doesn't mean that when you take a policy that you have to wait until age 60 to get the maturity benefits. Now, in determining how much you pay for a life policy, yes, we do assess. Because I mentioned, for example, we look at the risk of death or disability or critical illness. So yes, when an individual applies for a policy, age is a factor in determining the premium level. The health status of the individual at the time of applying is also considered. We also do what we call financial underwriting just to understand, are you able to meet the required premiums on either monthly or a quarterly basis? And then based on that, we would advise you that if you are looking to accumulate, say, 1 million shillings within the next five years, this is how much you need to pay. Then again, when we look at after you've accumulated the funds, when now you're taking the annuity, uh, which is what I'd mentioned, an income for life. Again, we would look at what your age is. And since there are various product options within the annuity product, what I mean is you could take an annuity for life, meaning I'll be paid an income post-retirement until the date I pass on, but guaranteed for a number of years. So again, it will depend on the product option uh, that one selects. But as I mentioned, there are flexible terms. It is from 18 uh, to 65 years at entry, but annuity could go up to age uh, 99 or 100 or whenever one passes on. Yeah, so that's in a nutshell what it is. Good. Uh, I think it's good to ask the other speakers some questions also. The head of annuities, Peter. Peter, now maybe you can tell us, at, uh, dig a bit a bit deeper and tell us a little bit about annuities and how those are structured. And I'm curious also to get some statistics from some of you about who are kind of the customers that you have who want some of these pension products. Are young people interested or are more like people in their 30s or 40s who are more interested in these products when you assess the kind of clients that are coming to you? So Peter, you can keep going. Thank you, Margot. Thank you for the, the time that I've given to us to speak to you on this. I would like to start from where the annuity originates. Annuity is the advanced stage of the saving plan that somebody could have during their working lifetime. So while you are saving, uh, you are preparing yourself for retirement. So basically, we have what we call individual retirement benefit arrangement or pension scheme. And that is the main objective here is that you are saving for retirement. Now, when you attain the retirement age, that is where now the annuity comes in. So basically, annuity is an income or a regular income that you will receive during your lifetime in exchange of how much you have saved during your working lifetime. In simple terms, they normally say that annuity is an income for life. This income really based on how much you have saved during your working lifetime 
And this income that you receive monthly or quarterly or whichever the frequency you would like to pick will also depend on your age at that time of purchasing it. And this income will also depend on other factors, including guarantee period that uh, Will Broder has already explained that it is the minimum number of payments that will be made to you. However, annuity is an income that that person who has attained the retirement age will be receiving for the rest of his or her lifetime. So basically, in calculating an annuity, we will be looking at what did you accumulate in Kenya? What we normally say is that there is, you are allowed to get a third of the lump sum that you've accumulated, then the two third you can use that to purchase an annuity. And then in the annuity, there are various types of annuity that are available to that person who is retiring. Actually, when we are talking about that, we are referring to people that have attained the age 50 and above. Those are the clientele that we have under the annuity. So when you come at that particular age, it means that we'll be asking you how much have you accumulated during your working lifetime? And would you like to use the whole amount to purchase an annuity? And then we'll also give you the options which are there because an annuity, you can even purchase it together with your spouse. In other words, we are saying that we'll now be paying you for as long as one of you is alive. We call that joint and last, last survivor type of annuity. And within the annuity, you can opt for having it monthly or quarterly or half yearly or annual. Again, the other thing that is uh, coming out when we talk about an annuity is that you can look at uh, the inflation and go for what we call an escalation, whereby the figure that you are going to get, the income that I'm referring to, will be increasing upward with a certain percentage every year. If the annuity, you can as well look at a situation whereby you like to involve the whole family. That is, you're looking at your spouse, you're looking at your children. This comes in when somebody probably got into family at a later age. And therefore, this person is having people who are younger at the time of retiring. And therefore, looking for a situation whereby there will be an income for the family, income for the wife, and income for the children who are below the age 25 or 18, depending on at that particular moment. So an annuity, we have different classes. We have number one, single life. We have number two, joint and last survivor. We have number three, reversionary type of annuity. And then we have also certain type of annuity whereby you purchase an annuity with a definite time that in the expiry of that particular time, we stop the payment. So when somebody attend the retirement age, we'll do a quotation for that particular person and we'll let you know that these are the various types of annuity that are available. So the client will pick the type that will work well depending on the status at that particular moment. Back to you. Yes, think on annuities, that's clear now. But there's someone here wondering about the rates of returns on these products. Anyone who's open? Well, an annuity will not be talking about the rate because there are very many factors, parameters that we normally consider while we are doing the quotation. The rate of return, we can refer to the, the pre-retirement arrangement. And of course, that is based on our investment portfolio. But when it comes to annuity, we are looking at various factors. As I said, we are looking at the purchase price. The purchase price is the accumulated fund that you are preparing to purchase an annuity. The second, we are looking at the age. The age will also have a factor in calculating what is payable to you. We are also looking at the gender. Gender will also contribute to a factor of how much is payable to you. 
we are looking at the type of annuity that we look into, you will pick that will also bring a contribute to, to what is payable to you. We are again looking at what guarantee period have you picked? Is it 10 years, five years, is it 15 years or 20 years? So basically, I will not say that the rate that we are using to work out the annuity is this. It depends on those other factors. Thank you. Yeah, back to the question that you asked last. Will brother, before I go to Ruth, Will brother, you, when you're talking about the pre-retirement, what Peter was referring to, I, I wanted to take a small example. Let's say you want a payout of one million after 10 years. How much will I need to be putting in every month? I think that will kind of answer the return question that Eric had asked earlier. So to keep it simple, 1 million, 10 years, how much will I need to be putting in every month or every period, let's say monthly? All right. Uh, thank you so much for that question. I'll just try to simplify it as much as possible because one first, it depends on, on, on the age. So I'll say pick a 35-year-old, say looking to accumulate, you said 1 million in 10 years. So let's break it down this way. If I'm to just put in money aside every month, so I'll take 1 million shillings, divide by, and say I'm to do this on a monthly basis. I'll take the 1 million shillings, divide by uh, 120 months, right? So that's around 8,333. This is assuming that there's no um, investment return uh, to the money I'm putting in month on month. So what we do within life insurance is first for you to accumulate this 1 million, we will have to give you the guarantee of accumulating this 1 million. So you will take a life cover of this 1 million shillings. Every year as we receive the premiums that you will pay, we will then invest it uh, so that we almost guarantee you that at the end of the 10 years, you have your 1 million shillings. Now, I would give a very approximate figure. So from the 8,333, I would say you may need to pay between nine to 10,000 shillings month on month. The extra amount you're paying is one, because we are guaranteeing the 1 million shillings to you at the end of the period. And we're also guaranteeing that in the event of the risk of death occurring, then these funds will be available to your named beneficiaries at the end of 10 years. Though what I've given is a very rough estimate because again, I'd said it depends on your health status and your age at the time of joining. And what, what, happens, what happens if I don't finish paying? If at some point COVID comes and uh, then you run into the risk of losing your job and you're not able now to pay, to pay. What, what happens then? All right, as Jubilee Life, we understand that people go through circumstances that may result in their inability to sustain their initial financial obligations, meaning that I had committed to Jubilee to pay 10,000 shillings every month, but due to either health reasons or I've lost my job, I'm not able to continue paying. So again, within the terms and conditions of the contract or of the policy, we do give uh, grace periods to the customer. So we will allow you a period, say it could be uh, 30 days all the way to six months. So currently we do allow within our contracts 
allow clients up to six months to regularize their premiums where they are unable to pay. As I'd also mentioned that we do understand that there's retrenchments that could happen or one could be declared redundant. And if at the time of taking this policy, this benefits had been included or you had opted in for such benefits, then the company would waive premiums for the defined period um, up to such a time when you're able to come back to your feet and meet your financial obligation of paying the premium. So what I would say is we sit with the customer, understand their circumstance because each circumstance is different. So I may not give a one fit all answer, but what I would say is we understand your circumstance and work around your financial position at the time of either the job loss or the health challenge or whatever it is that has maybe caused you not to pay the premiums. Maybe the business has gone down. As you had mentioned, COVID came in and it was a shaker for, for all of us. So what I would say is we, uh, we discuss with you and then we come up with a plan. The objective is that you will not lose whatever you have contributed to the policy. Sorry, yeah. So you will not lose what you've contributed, but will you get, will, will you have the funds back if I need it before it matures? I, I didn't get that very clearly. Okay. So yes. Now when taking a policy, of course, there are the terms and conditions within the contract and we do stipulate the opt out options at various stages. So generally for most life insurance contracts, you will be required to pay premiums uh, for at least three years to enable us pay what we would call a surrender value. So you come to us after three years and say, I'm unable to continue and I would wish to terminate my contract. So yes, we would compute what is due to you because we have to be cognizant that when you say you had taken a one million shilling cover, as Jubilee Life, we were obligated to pay this one million shilling to your next of kin or to your nominated beneficiary in the event of the risk of death or critical illness, we would then be uh, obligated to pay. So having in mind that as a company, we took on the risk, then at the point that the client says they, they wish to terminate the policy before the intended debt, then we would compute what we call a surrender value which again, depending on the period in which you're surrendering, at some point it may be lower than what you have contributed because of what I'd mentioned that the company was bearing the risk of this 1 million shilling that we would have paid should the risk have materialized. But what I'd mentioned, which I would really want the message to go out is we will discuss the circumstance and we will then work around your circumstance such that at the end it's a win-win a situation for both the customer as well as the company. Sorry, I'm still going to press this. So you've mentioned that depending on how you want to surrender, that you would compute the surrender value and it, in, in some instances it might be lower than what it is that you have contributed. So just to give me an idea, what the ballpark figure percentage-wise on the surrender figure. Okay, so uh, sometimes I know life insurance, we're usually um, accused of being very technical in terms of how we do what we do. I wouldn't want to say a percentage, but maybe I would explain it this way. You are accumulating funds that you were to pay after 10 years. 
and you come in the third year that you want to take out your funds. So what we will do is compute the value of your policy as on that date. These funds were to be paid to you after 10 years, so we would need to, what we call discounting, so getting the present value of the funds that you have accumulated, and that's what we would then pay. I'm not sure if, if it's quite clear how I'm explaining, but it's basically looking at you. At, we were to pay you this in 10 years, but what is the value of your policy today? So I wouldn't give a percentage per se, because as I said, it depends on how long you've been running the policy and when you're then coming to surrender. I understand that life is kind of complicated, but for that explanation, I wanted to switch a little to the group. Maybe she can tell us a little bit about the claims process, because I know like a pain point for most people is what you insured for happens and then, or at least maybe it's at the end of the insurance uh, policy's life or something happens in between and then you have to make a claim. How does the claims process uh, work? One of the challenges a lot of it, the people don't take up insurance is mostly because insurance companies are, are kind of known not to pay or at least to look for a way not to pay. Uh, so perhaps you can take us through the claims process and also uh, let us know which areas people should watch out for as they make claims so that they ensure that their policies actually are in line with what they insured for. Thank you so much, Mwango, for that question. It's a good question. Normally, there are two types of claims when uh, somebody has taken life insurance. And the first one is where it has come to maturity. And that's the one that we love most because we are celebrating the journey that a life insurance person has taken from the day they started 10 years, 20 years later. And it's time for us now to make the payment. On a general scale, we'd always maybe request that the customers maybe provide us some bank details and maybe signs a, a voucher just to confirm that the amounts that we are paying at that time, they're in agreement with it. Then we'd also request maybe just a copy of the policy document. As much as this conversation of the policy document is taking different twists with the new developments and COVID that has come in the recent years. So when you have survived, it's such an easy journey that we walk together with you at that time. When you submit the documents, we process and we pay the funds to your account, which is a beautiful time as at that time when you're doing it. In the unfortunate time where we have lost one of us, you've lost one of our customers, and we need to now pay to the beneficiary, as we brother had mentioned, we are now paying to the named beneficiary. All we request is a, a few documentation extra that uh, will require from the beneficiaries, for instance, would want to confirm that we are paying the right beneficiary, so would request for documents that identify the beneficiary, then we'll relate that based on what we have in our records on the form that the life insured paid at the time when we were processing the application. Then we'd also want to know where the person died, if we can get the death certificate at that time, which um, if it is in Kenya, it's very easy to just get a copy of the death certificate. And then we process it and then we'll advise. Once we process that, we now make the payment. In most cases, death are very easy payments to pay. It's not as difficult like maybe I can say a building falling down, then we have to make an assessment and all that. Somebody has died, they have died. They, they're not going to come back alive and say, this is where I was before I died and all that they have died. So death claims are very easy. For disability claims, what we'd request is maybe a few documentation from your doctors just to confirm you're permanently disabled, you're not able maybe to work again. So once those documents are provided to us, we make the assessment based on the policy. Um, it was that disability actually mentioned in the policy term, we make the payment. If it is, for instance, a critical illness, 
somebody has been diagnosed uh, with a critical illness, named the policy document that we provided, say maybe it's cancer or maybe kidney failure, a final kidney failure, maybe paraplegia, all this that are happening and we're hoping at that time that the policy is already paid and the premiums have been received consistently, then we make an assessment based on the doctor's report that has been given to us. In most cases, if it's a fast diagnosis, there are no issues. We process the payment and we pay to the customer. Of course, after we assess, we normally give the customer a discharge voucher. The purpose of the discharge voucher is to help the customer confirm that the amount that they're in agreement with the amount that we are going to be paying them. For funeral covers, those ones are easy. We request the customer, or rather the beneficiary, to provide with us the documents that will require a claim form at that time, or maybe death, death certificate, and then we'll process that and, and make the payment. I don't know whether I've been able to answer your queries more. Yes, uh, you've been able to answer that. But from what you've seen around in, in terms of insurance company, how do you make that claims process a bit faster? Because uh, insurance companies get accused of the fact that getting them to accept the policies is I'll give you the policy and policy document and signing and you giving the money is easy, but you getting back that money is the problem. So like how have you streamlined those processes and what are the things that maybe and someone who takes up in insurance products and needs to watch out for? Thank you, Mwango, for that second question. So what's this most importantly at maturity, we normally advise the customers at least two months before the maturity date. So it's important for the customer or our life insurance to provide the documentation those time before the maturity date so that at least we process this payment early and that money gets to the customer early. So that's what we've done. We notify them at least two, three months before the maturity date. We've worked with you for 20 years. We've worked with you for 10 years. So we notify you at least uh, 60 days before maturity date. You start arranging for the documentation to be received by us. Then we start processing currently. We stopped now the long process of the checks. Now we are doing uh, bank transfers to make it easier so that immediately it's processed on our end. The customer doesn't have to come and collect a check from us. They receive from the other end, from their bank account that they have provided to us before the maturity date. For claims, sometimes the challenge we have is where we are requesting for documentation, but the beneficiaries are taking longer to provide the documentation that is required. For instance, we've requested for maybe a death certificate at that time, they have not processed the death certificate, so it becomes a little bit longer. We are not in a position to proceed unless we receive the death certificate. So that's the other challenge that sometimes we also face. So our encouragement to customers who are claiming is that you constantly call them, keep in touch with them, request them to provide the information because it's our joy to want to keep our promise at that time. And, and if we're not keeping promises, of course, we'll not be doing business. So we want to ensure that we keep our promises. We call them. We contact them every time we have that. For the disability, the documentation from the doctor, if the customer provides those documentations from the doctor first, then the process becomes easier. And as I mentioned, when I was talking about the maturities, our payments currently are being done from our bank to the banks or to the bank of uh, the customer. So we are shortening that. We are moving away from now using checks. Maureen, we haven't forgotten that you're there. We now we have some two questions for you. So one is around the issue of uh, the structure of personal pensions and the returns that the person who takes the insurance product can expect. And this is secondly, has to do with a question we received from one of the listeners asking about the, do the premiums paid on life assurance, are they gaining interest in the process or something? Uh, so maybe you can break down those two. 
Thank you, Mokaya. So at Jubilee Life, we have a tailor-made savings product to enable individuals save for their retirement. So we have the personal pension plan and we have the personal provident plan. So the personal pension plan, uh, basically what this means is that you're building a pot of money which will help you in the future at retirement. At the point of payment, that is at retirement, in the personal pension plan, you'll be required to purchase an annuity. You'll be paid a third, and then the two thirds will be required to purchase an annuity. And the other product is the personal provident plan. So at the point of retirement to the personal provident plan is that the individual is paid everything. Now, the beauty about the personal plans at Jubilee is that they have been tailor-made for everyone for in the different sectors of the economy, meaning that there's no fees at setup. You get a tax relief, which is very good for Kenyans in these hard times. Then you have flexible contributions, meaning whatever money you have, whatever time you have, you can put it in the plan. We have convenient methods of payment, meaning you can pay via M-Pesa, via checkoff, via cash deposit at the bank. Then the returns are what make Jubilee's product quite competitive. Our returns for the last uh, 12 to 14 years have been above 10%, which is very competitive if you look at the market. And the other thing is that these returns are compounded. As we all know, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. If the interest is compounded, it means that your money keeps growing at a faster rate. What individuals can do is that we have a link whereby our clients can go to the website and see if I put 5,000 shillings, say I'm age 30, I put 5,000 shillings, say for 10 years. The calculator will tell you that in five years or 10 years time, this is how much your money will grow. So um, in pensions, we, we don't talk about premiums. We talk about contributions because these are not premiums. These are individual contributions and they're voluntary. So I hope I have answered the question about returns are above 10% for the last 10 to 12 years. And those are the products we have. Thank you, Mok. Yes, thank you. And about the structure of the pension products, do you have maybe something that you can give us? Yes, we have products for individuals. So as I said, uh, we have the personal pension plan whereby it's voluntary. Like an individual, say your employer does not have a plan, you don't have a, a, a plan for your employees, the individuals can join in and start contributing. So it's pretty simple. You just uh, fill a one-pager application form and you start contributing whatever amount you have. So what happens with that plan is that it has a guaranteed rate of return. We guarantee that no matter what happens, we will give you a minimum guarantee of 4%. However, Jubilee has not given a low return as 4%. We've been able to give higher returns over the years. So uh, what happens is that at the end of the year, we usually call in our auditors. When they audit how we have invested the money, the clients get a return. So like right now we are doing audits for the year 2021. So in 2020, we were able to give a return of 8.81%, which was among the highest in the industry. So we have plans for individuals. So I had talked about the personal pension plan and the personal provident plan. Then we also have plans for the corporate accounts for the corporate clients. And these are tailor made according to what the client wants. In terms of uh, then guaranteed, I come back uh, to you, Julius, now. Uh, there are all these products that you're giving out to individuals. So I think as a company, then what's the investment strategy to make sure that if you're going to offer maybe an investor 
or the person taking the insurance product at 10%, you have to generate returns above that to be able like, to generate a little bit of profit. So then where is Jubilee Health investing its uh, portfolio of assets? Okay, thank you very much, Mokaya. And probably just before I even talk about investment, let me say something about savings because I can see the people who are participating today and an array of Kenyans, I can see your photos. I can almost even judge your age. Now, we have a challenge as a country. Our savings rate is 9% of GDP. Now, we should envisage that our savings rate would be 30%. Now, so in the last 10 years or so, our savings rate, I think uh, around 2012, we were at 16. Instead of climbing, we kept down. So right now, if you look at the most recent data from Central Bank, we are, our savings rate has fallen to 9%. So it means then we as a country, we are consuming faster than we are saving. So we are not postponing our consumption, which is saving. Let's compare ourselves with best in class. The countries that save significantly are the Chinese. Number one in the world is the Chinese. And there are Chinese everywhere. I mean, Singapore, for example, the, the average Chinese saves 55% of income. And so when you save, then it is available for investment. So all your life savings are actually invested by insurance companies. Now, Jubilee, if you look at our investment portfolio, we are unique because then our investment portfolio is looking at things which guarantee. That's when we talk about 4%, and as Maureen said, we actually pay around 8820 20. In 21, we don't know. They let the auditors come with their figure, but in 2020, we paid 8.81. Now, let me give you just a snapshot of our investment portfolio so then you realize that the way Jubilee assesses the future is very different from other insurance companies. For starters, not see Jubilee Tower, not forget, because what is the investment return of property now? is around 5% on average. So if we are getting 5% gross on property, net of cost will be below now the guaranteed rate. So that is why if you look at the investment portfolio, and I'm going to just give you examples of what we do, you realize that management and the board are very prudent the way we deploy your savings. Because we are your agent. For example, Ujagali Energy Project in Uganda. Bujagali accounts for 40% of energy needs in Uganda. And that is one of the investments of Jubilee. We own 44%. So when we accumulate your savings, we are very prudent in the way we deploy. Another example is undersea cable from South Africa to France. So under the sea. Another investment is farmer's choice. All this is in our annual report, farmer's choice. All of you eat farmer's choice sausages, so we are prudent in deploying that money in a company like farmer's choice. We also deploy infrastructure bonds. If you look at, at the total investment portfolio on infrastructure uh, and treasury bonds is 90 billion by Jubilee. In fact, it's the largest, I think it, we have must be accounting for around a quarter of the bonds of the insurance industry. So what I can 
word of God, very, very prudent in the way it deploys your money. That is why we are the best guarantor of your savings in the insurance industry. When you come, long after some of us have left the company, if your savings for the next 20 years, we guarantee you that the way we deploy the money, very prudent, and you can come back 20 years from today and your money will be safe. That is the whole essence of an insurance company to give you that comfort that when you come back years much later, even if the individuals that onboarded you are not there, your money is safe and paid the same way Ruth had explained, as if those people were there. So that is a very important thing. And if you look at even the Chinese, just for the sake of those of you who are in Nairobi, the Nairobi Expressway is actually deployment of the funds of a Chinese cooperative. The contractor, Chinese, the amount of money which has been deployed, the contract sum was 63. I think it has since been revised upwards because we have to repair the lower road. But that is Chinese savings being deployed in a project. They've got a PPP with Kenya government, which that it's for 27 years and they have some guarantees. So if, for example, we had a very high savings, we as Kenyans, it is possible that actually we could have deployed that money in the expressway. Another example is another road project. Which, uh, I'm sure you read in today's papers, the one for our summit, which is a distance of 233 kilometers. It has a PPP and it's money actually being deployed of banks and insurance companies in France. It was given to a French company. So that gives you an idea of how we deploy. We look at the return of investment and then we diversify the portfolio so that then we minimize the risk. Okay. So Jubilee is very prudent the way we deploy. Okay. For example, we were able to ship very early from equities into bonds when we saw the trend. So we have very good analysts internally, and they are the ones who advise us on how we are going to deploy this money in the most efficient way possible and shifting the money depending on expected return on each portfolio. So what I can say is big the way we do it, and that is why we are the most profitable insurer in East and Central Africa. Back to you, Mokai. And you pay dividends too, to invest. Oh, consistently. All right. So what's the capital location uh, like for you? Uh, how is the distribution in terms of uh, cash and resources between the general insurance company and then also you have the life insurance? How do you deploy cash between them? Do they exchange or are they also separate entities in terms of investing strategies and even how they conduct their business? Generally. Investments are allocated to each company. For example, the health company invests, uh, invested in Farmer's Choice, Bujagali, the life company. Okay. And that only in a few assets, they actually come jointly. But largely, all the assets have been separated. Yeah. We've just done one hour with the team here. This is the point where we open up to questions. Uh, from the public, we have our pinned tweet, which has the post of today's event. Just below it, you can ask your questions. 
You can also send us a DM. You can also a request to speak. And then you can also maybe just DM me or Kalia here. In the meantime, do you have some questions yourself? Yes. So the insurance penetration in Kenya generally has been pretty low at 3%. And interestingly, we were ranked, we being Kenya, was ranked should be the third bottom in sub-Saharan Africa in terms of penetration in sub-Saharan Africa. Yet we are the sixth largest economy in sub-Saharan Africa by GDP. What is the reason behind the low penetration? And for you at Jubilee specifically, what are you doing to help increase uh, the penetration? And maybe just to give a little bit more uh, meat to the discussion, the IRA released a survey on insurance. It should be last year. And part of the reason why people were saying they let the insurances lapse and do not renew or they do not take up insurance first place was because they do not trust insurance in general. 33% of respondents actually say they do not trust insurance. And then another 28% say that they feel like insurance products are pretty expensive. So speaking on trust, I think back to the life policy issue, for instance, if someone has saved or has been contributing consistently for a period of time, and then they need the money, and then you as an insurance company come and tell the person that because you're withdrawing early, we have to give you less than what you've contributed so far because uh, the argument is that you are taking a, a risk to guarantee. However, you say you have really good analysts. And basically for something like life, I believe the investments are in bonds generally. They're pretty much safe returns. Such kind of things are what make people kind of share away from taking up such products. And I don't know now what your response would be to that. What are you doing to try to change the perception that there's little trust of insurers and how could it be made more affordable for people generally? Okay, thank you very much, Kalia. I'm not sure about the third bottom. I don't think Kenya is the third bottom. But if I give you statistics of East Africa, for example, insurance penetration is measured as a percentage of GDP. What percentage are the insurance premiums as a percentage of GDP? In Kenya today, we are not actually at three. We have fallen because the GDP figure was replaced. So the GDP figure expanded, but we are now at 2.3. 2.3 is not too bad for Africa. Uh, compare, for example, in Uganda, it's 0.7% of the economy is insured. And then in Tanzania, it is 0.9. South Africa is highest Africa, 16%. So I would rate Kenya as probably a top all time. Yeah, so we are not that bad in Africa, but we are saying by world standards, we need to, to improve our savings rate through insurance. That says a lot about the penetration. Now, when it comes to then to why then uh, cover that risk, you probably need to understand and appreciate what are we competing with. Now, we are competing with consumption. We are one of the most unequal countries in the world. And so therefore, if you look at the general population, a lot of them don't have sufficient income. They live from month to month. They say the greatest risk for the poor is they, if one payslip misses, they are off uh, the rails immediately. So because of that very skewed income distribution, very many people are hard pressed 
to buy an insurance policy, unless, for example, it's compulsory, like motor, and in any case, they would buy on the third party. So we, we need to sort of increase, okay, penetration by postponing consumption, which is saving. But many Kenyans are hard-pressed. I think based on the latest statistics from the government, they say 94% of the salaried people earn less than 100,000. So that shows you the people have when it comes to savings. Because savings includes, as my colleagues have said, those light policies, the annuities, actually postpone consumption and you are saving. Now, when it comes then to what are we competing with, there are two interesting things that insurance companies compete with. One is a rampage. As a risk mitigation measure, many Kenyans would say, I have my friends, in case I have a problem, we will always form a WhatsApp group or distribute a card and I will be covered. That is a form of insurance that we are competing with. Now, it's slightly more expensive than insurance, but it's very convenient. Many people just rally around each other. So Arambe has a vex. We are a generous people. And in case somebody has a problem, we form a WhatsApp group, we contribute, we solve the problem, and it disappears. The other one, of course, church. Church has become a very strong insurance, quote-unquote, partner, because then in case you have a problem, they have a very strong social system that then takes care of those who are vulnerable. So to us, those are key institutions that we are competing with when it comes to supporting each other. Because remember, insurance pays based on an unexpected event, something, a risk which was not expected, like death or disability. And so therefore, we run around you at that point. Now, why do we have no trust? No trust arises. The savings that you give us are not invested prudently. Many people come years later and you find that probably the insurance companies never deployed the money correctly. And so when it comes now to making a claim, they say, we don't have the money. Whether it's even short term or long term, it doesn't matter. But the way you match the rate at which claims are expected to come and to cover those claims is very, very important. If you don't have very good staff, especially actuaries and financial analysts who can then match those things, you can put an insurance company in very awkward position and by extension, your customer. So it's always important whenever you think of which insurance company to take a policy from, in my view, look, the first one is the quality of their staff. Means therefore, you are they people who are very good at what they do and are they honest? Because if they are not honest and they are not good at what they do, then they will deploy your money wrongly. And the second one is the financial strength of the company. And you look at this financial strength over a period of time. Yeah, they demonstrated that they manage those money well. Are they profitable? And if you look at even the way they deploy, remember, you as an insured person can also see the returns in the economy. You are, you are part of that economy. So if, for example, an insurance company deploys uh, resources in a, an investment that even you, you think, uh, why would they deploy in something that gives a return, say, of 2%? 
when there are other opportunities like treasury bonds or infrastructure bonds that are giving a return of 13%. So if they invest, then you, even you as somebody with savings would look at them as like, why would you do that? Okay. So it's always good to evaluate an insurance company based on its financial strength. Jubilee, for example, has been consistently profitable and paying dividends to its shareholders and has never defaulted to any custom as per policy. And that is, to me, is what you need to do. So trust this people who run the company and the track record of financial strength. And so therefore, I would expect probably along the way, based on that IRA report, that IRA encourages consolidation. Places like South Africa, there are fewer insurance companies which are large, so that then even if something goes wrong in one of the investment projects, they have a good portfolio cushions it because everything determined by how you pay future. So if, for example, you deploy money and you don't have a well-diversified investment portfolio, you can actually put people's savings at risk. So it's always important that we have large insurance companies that are well-managed, very good people, and then have a track record of financial strength. That is how trust will go up. South Africa having 60% of it based on very large insurance and have a very long track record of profitability. Then people then have that confidence that I will deploy my savings and I will, I'm sure 20 years from today, I will get my money as per contract. And that is really where insurance companies should concentrate on. Back to you. I'm looking around, there are not many questions. I see a few questions on health insurance. I think we'll handle that at another spaces. Today is mostly just about life insurance, but maybe it was, it's an opportunity. Maybe we'll broader to break down what's the difference between life insurance and health insurance. All right. Thank you. So yes, life insurance, uh, as I mentioned, as we began is where we look at financial loss and we look at the risks that one would incur and that would result into financial loss. So we look at as a mentioned risk of uh, death or disability or critical illness. For health insurance, it's basically an indemnity. If I may say it's you're taking a health cover such that in the event you fall sick, you should be able to go to a health facility and you will then be treated and will not need to pay for the treatment cost at that time because the health policy has been able to cater for that. So you will pay a premium and the health insurance product you purchase will then ensure that the finances are available to you specifically for treatment when you visit a hospital or, or a health facility. Now, life insurance is about accumulating funds. As Julius had mentioned, it's about postponing your consumption now and building a fund to take care of uh, a future unexpected event, which is death, disability, or to take care of a future non-financial obligation. So I'm planning to build a fund to, to take my children to school, to build a home, to cater for my retirement, so that's majorly the difference. One is you're building a fund and the other is transferring the risk of being able to meet your hospital bills 
in the unfortunate event that you fall sick. That's in a nutshell what the differences are. All right. Are there any questions on your end? Yeah, I think to when you're talking about the, the provident fund or the contribution towards the pension scheme, again, similar question to the issue of life. What happens in case you are not able to continue doing that? Sorry, if you had already dealt with that, I think there's a point where I had dropped off. So if you hadn't, you can answer. If not, we can move on to another question. Okay. The thing about pension products, they're different from life products. So in a personal pension plan, if you stop contributing, nothing happens to the fund. You will not be charged. It will continue earning interest. That's why I talk, talked about flexibility in contributions. You can start and stop whenever you want. So the thing about this is that you have a goal in mind. When you're saving, you have to have a goal in mind. What are you saving towards? Are you saving towards accumulating 1 million, 5 million? So if you reach your goal, you can decide to stop. I mean, if your financial circumstances change, you can stop contributing. So pension products are not like life products. They're very flexible. You can start and stop whenever you want. So basically what I'm getting so far is that the pension product seems to be better than a life insurance product because it returns high. You were talking about 8% and life product if my situation changes and end up losing. No, it's not that pension is superior to life. It's just that they are two different products with two different objectives. So let me talk about life products. Say uh, you've put in, say for four years and maybe your term is 10 years. What if you die? I mean, and you have a summer short. The insurance company will step in and pay your beneficiaries. So you're not losing out. So, and then for pension products, if you die, your beneficiaries will be paid whatever you had accumulated. So you see there's a difference there. While in life, they will pay the term where you had not finished paying the premiums. But in pensions, they will pay whatever you have accumulated. So what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say that each product has its own objective. One is not superior over the other. What are you saving for? What risks are you mitigating? For pensions, you're saving for your retirement. For life, you're mitigating the risks, like in case you're not there tomorrow, in case uh, you want to save for your children's education in case of things like critical illness. So there are two very different products. One is not superior over the other. Thank you, Mokaya. I don't know if you have, we have been terrible at explaining the terms, but there's someone who's asking whether the amount insured on the life insurance earns interest and what is the rate? Ruth, perhaps you can take the question. Thank you, Mokaya, for that question. Now, the, the amount insured, maybe I can just mention where insurance comes in. In terms of payment of premiums, we pull in all these funds together in a pool. It's like what Julius mentioned earlier that our greatest competitor is actually Harambe and the church, where they're pulling resources together to help one person who is actually in, in trouble. And at that time, when you're pulling these resources together to help that one person who could be in trouble, that amount is not like is invested at that particular point, but a portion of it, like uh, Wilbur mentioned earlier, goes to savings and we earn interest on it uh, at that time. What we promise and normally do is that we will guarantee a bonus based on the sum assured all the year round from year one all the way all, until the term comes to an end. There will be some portion of um, a bonus that is paid to your sum assured. It is actually discussed at the end of the year based on the auditor's report, how much profit we did. So in, in a nutshell, I can just say, the premiums that you contribute goes to the pool 
we invest the money from the pool together collectively. And then whatever profits we get, we now apportion a part of it based on your sum insured, which is actually put into your policy. You can access that amount at the end of the insurance period. I don't know whether I've been able to answer your question, Mukai. Yes, I think so. I'm checking if there are more questions, but I don't see any. One question that maybe came for Julius was more like, which one of the markets that you operate in is the kindest market towards insurance as a whole, as an industry? Maybe you can answer that from a strategic point of view, Julius. Okay. Thank you very much. I think Kenya is still the most lucrative market. 70% of our insurance business is in Kenya. So Kenya is still our number one. And if you look at the future, we are aware that the regulator has been given a target by the government to see whether they can reach uh, 5% insurance penetration in 10 years. We think that is ambitious. That will force so many people to save in Tanzania. But remember, savings is a culture. A culture is a way of life, the habit, the behavior. And uh, you don't change behavior overnight. The Chinese culture of saving, remember, it's a 5,000-year civilization. So it is something which is passed over from one generation to another one. And uh, you have seen them in Kenya, for example. The Chinese have made a fortune in infrastructure. 90% of infrastructure projects in Kenya go to the Chinese, the large ones at least. And, but you don't see them uh, spending a lot of money in Kenya. They remit the money back home. So it's a culture. So we need to sort of inculcate a culture of taking insurance, which is basically postponing consumption. You must cover your risk in the short term. That is where the general insurance comes in, including health. But we must also save. I know you had mentioned earlier about young people and saving. We have a problem there. Let's admit Young people are not saving. I don't know why they think they will be for a short period, but I want to guarantee, uh, if you look at the projections of the National Council for Population, life expectancy in Kenya is increasing. So I want to tell young people, you'll actually live very long. With advances in medicine, you could actually be going beyond 100. Now, the question is, if you are able to work well up to the age of 60 or 70, now, what are you going to do for the last 30 years? What is the saving that you are going to use? Please don't commit suicide. We want you to live long and we want you then to save today. We encourage people to save from day one when you get a job. You save today so that then you can spread your income so you live the same quality of life up your entire life. So it's important that please save because you live long and when you want to spread that quality of life so that then you don't suffer any disability or depend on your children in all day. That is my advice, young people. Back to you. Uh, a quick one uh, before I hand over to Kalia. You've talked a lot about dead assets. I've heard you talk about it a lot. Can you expound on that a little and especially the habit of having a small house a country? Okay, I expected that to come. Dead assets. Okay, many individuals invest on their own. Your choice really to either go to a bank, open a savings account or a fixed deposit, or you come to an insurance company, you buy a life policy. It's your choice and how you make those choices. But what my advice, please avoid investing in assets, which are very low returns. If you don't have the skills to invest, 
please ask experts. You can ask a consultant, you can ask your banker, you can ask your insurance company, what are the, the best savings options? Many Kenyans invest in obvious dead assets. And the most obvious dead asset is many Kenyans have dual homes. You are in Nairobi, you probably are paying rent, and then you start building a house in the village. And then you ask yourself that this is a place where I will be buried, or this is a place where I will be coming once or twice in a year so that then I don't have to pay rent, stay in a, you know, a bed and breakfast or an Airbnb. It is important to know that your time capital, very scarce capital, remember our saving rate 9%. So you are tying up scarce capital in an asset which is not giving you a return. For example, if look at the, an average case, age of 45, if you invested 1 million shillings in, say, equity shares, it said when they went public in 2006, those shares have grown 50 times as of today. If you invested the same 1 million in a house in the village in 2006, that asset most probably be deteriorated and you are now paying money to keep it alive. So that is the comparison and say, when you want to actually go and reach the village when you retire, go and build that a few months before you actually reach there, rather than building it 30 years earlier and saying, I want a place to be buried. I know there are cultural issues to do with it, but please, okay, don't worry. We could send you to a crematorium. So leave that decision to those who are alive. So other dead assets, samples of buying a car, beast when you can't run it, that's a dead asset. Uh, building a pen, so if you buy a plot and then you put a pen, that's a dead asset. So if you look at even in own house, you buy too many clothes that you don't require, that those are dead assets. A lot of household, huge dead assets that you don't need. If they were just to deploy these assets, this, that cash, into buying a little shares and we can improve ourselves and then also we start improving your returns and so therefore and even now when you buy a life policy remember a life policy there's life cover that comes with it. so you are also insured so it's important let us think more creatively about how we deploy capital and i want you to read a book there's a famous book by a former governor of central bank in peru but I always uh, ask people to read it. It's called The Mystery of Capital. And the subtitle of it, where some countries called developed and others developing. It's all about how they deploy capital. In America, it developed because of efficient stock market. Stock markets are places where people pull money together to run big projects. Elon Musk, for example, He's a South African, but he, he, he took off to America because he had great ideas, but South Africa could not provide the capital for the ideas that he had. So even as our culture, so that then we can mobilize capital, so that then we can deploy that capital to people who have ideas, who can generate returns, so that then our, our returns are good enough based on that deployment. So. It's very important that we learn how to accumulate capital and then we invest or deploy that capital into projects that have good 
returns on investment. If we do that, then you will see the, the kind of progress. One of my recommended savings platforms for Kenyans has always been cooperative. But the problem is cooperative played with too much corruption. And so there are people fear to then uh, put money in a circle. Okay. Although Kenya, I think we are number two in Africa in terms of robustness savings and credit societies. But be that as it may, it a totally different culture of savings. I know government has a lot of incentives. If you save, for example, for an insurance, you are given a tax relief and things like those. But let us avoid assets which don't give you return. Okay. I know people say, oh, culturally, no. How can you not have a house in your village? I want to tell you, me, I don't have a house in the village. And I'm okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Julius. A couple of questions that have come in. The first one, I don't know who I'll direct this to. Someone is asking about the education policy. So does education policy fall under the life business or is it in a different uh, business? Maybe someone can take that one. Yes, thanks. Thanks for that question. So yes, the education policy falls under the life business. And in a nutshell, what are we looking at? We are saying you want to provide for the education of your children, and it's to provide funds for a future need, which is you need to uh, educate your children. So what we have is product, an education policy, which we will structure it again based on an individual's need. How long do you want to accumulate the funds so that you'll access them when they're due say when the child is either going to high school or going to university or even when a child is born that's actually the best time to start saving because you'll have a much longer period uh, to accumulate the funds by the time they're joining even from play group or depending on the education system you're saving for but if one starts from the time a child is born that's actually the very best. So we structure based on how long you want to save and how much you want to accumulate to at the end of the period. So th that's basically how the education works. Within our policies, we look at, again, the education system. Currently, with the new CBC method, uh, majorly for public schools, we ensure that the funds are available as the child transitions through various levels. So the bottom line is we show you how you can systematically accumulate the funds that you will need to provide for school fees requirements or any other expenses that you will incur at the time of taking the child to school. Back to you, Mokaya. Thanks, those brothers. There's a question on what was the bonus rate in 2020 and on the sum insured in the life insurance policies? Yes, yes. Thanks, Kalia. Yes, uh, as Ruth had earlier mentioned, the bonus rate is declared on an annual basis and it's then credited to the client policy, but accessed by the client at the end of the policy term. So last year, the bonus rate that we declared was 4.5% and for other products was 5.5%. So that means that if you had a 1 million shilling policy, you would be paid 45,000 into your policy as a bonus. Okay. 
So tied to that, there's also another question whether now this owners would it cater for inflation? Because at four percent and our inflation is at five point one seven, would it cater for inflation? Is it do you end up losing money in the life policy? All right, thanks, thanks for the question. So I would say just to set it clear that for life policies you do not lose uh, your funds when you put them in because we understand that this is a savings as well as a risk policy so we do ensure as Julius had mentioned that prudent investments are done so that you do not lose all your savings now remember the bonus rate of 4.5 percent we've said is uh, computed as a percentage of your sum insured so say for example the case we had discussed earlier where one was planning to accumulate one million in say 10 years and they had taken a, a sum insured of say 1 million that meant that in the first year of the policy when i have paid i had given approximation of 10000 shillings per month so i have paid 120000 shillings but the bonus that has been credited to my policy is 45000 shillings so what rate of return is that it's quite high. If you look at what I've put in, 120,000, and I'm paying, I'm getting a bonus of 45,000. We are cognizant that there's inflation, so we've structured the premiums you pay month on month in a way that ensures that we are above the inflation uh, rate, and the return you get will be, one, guaranteed because of the, the investments in which we put the funds, and it's something that every year you'll be getting a statement or a bonus certificate telling you that this is how the company has performed and this is what is now due to you as a client. So I would really uh, want to emphasize that within life insurance products, you do not lose your savings, but I would just put the caution that you need to ensure that you stay in the policy throughout the term. So if you took a 10-year to get the maximum benefits, endeavor as much as possible to stay within the policy for the 10-year period. If you exit way earlier, that's when, yes, you would probably get lower than what you would have contributed. Yeah, for the bonuses that are issued, assuming there's a bonus issued today, another one next year, and so forth, do these bonuses compound? Will they earn interest? Or is it if a bonus is declared, uh, the 45000 that you mentioned, if it's declared on year three out of 10, it won't accrue any interest that balance of the years. Yes, so I would, I would respond to that by saying that different products uh, work differently. So yes, there are those that when we declare a bonus, the bonus will remain and won't earn subsequent interest. But the way the policy is structured is that overall, at the end of the term of the policy, you would still have made a return on your money. Uh, so what we give as bonus, depending on the product, may earn interest or may not earn an interest. So it's, it will be based on how the product has been structured. Okay, thanks. So I think finally, before, in case before you receive any questions from, from the audience, this is my personal opinion or feedback. On the life insurance policy, I am not fully convinced by some of the things that are argued by the insurer. So, for instance, maybe you could give us an insight into the investment strategy that is taken from the premiums into the life policy. But my assumption would be that 
the premiums are invested into what are considered safe assets. In this case, it would be the bonds, probably fixed deposits. I would say the kind of investments that a money market fund would put their investment in. So the only difference in this case is that you would argue that because you are guaranteeing some payouts at the end of it, then you want to, to charge a client more. But for me, I do not really buy that argument because so far we know the returns that have been there in the bond space in what you get from fixed deposits. So even for someone who assumes there's something that happens to their, their plan, they're not able to continue with the policy for the entire term, I do not believe that it is uh, fair for someone to be, to, to be given funds that are less compared to what it is they're invested. At the bare minimum, I think, as an incentive for someone to stay through the term, it could be maybe you're told that maybe you forfeit some of the interest that you would have earned. But because of the investment strategy that has been taken and to the brilliance of the analysts that are there in the team that Julius alluded to earlier, I strongly think that the premiums on the life policy do earn a considerably higher interest that the company benefits from. But in case of a shock to someone's plan, then them losing not only your principal amount, but one also when you factor in the time value of money, then it, in a number of cases, it really discourages people from taking up life insurance premium. And people would rather choose the products that at least are generating them returns and they could access it when they need that more flexible product. So I don't know whether this is something that, this is feedback that you've received a lot and whether it's something that you would consider looking into or changing. Okay, so let me make a, some introductory comment on that one and probably Will Brother can make further comment. I know it's very tempting to dismiss insurance policy, but remember, in the event of that unexpected event of death, disability, and you are not able to continue the premium, you see, the insurance company takes the risk of paying you for that unfortunate event. When they actually look at the mathematics of it, okay, you actually, they are taking, they are shouldering that risk on your behalf, okay, for the unpaid premium and paying you the full sum assured. So when you actually consider the, the larger thing, is when you diversify your portfolio, you have some other investments in money market funds. Some people have fixed deposits. Some people have, they also diversify their portfolio. So we are not saying put all your eggs in one basket insurance policy, but what we are saying is you diversify too and make sure that in some areas you are well covered in the event of an expected event, but others pursue. Well, Look at, for example, Jolua's money in a, a current account. What is it for? In economics, we call it precautionary demand for cash. You need to access some liquidity quickly. In other things, say, I'm taking an education policy for the children. So you're actually forcing yourself to save with a goal. Okay? And there is insurance cover that comes with it, just in case you are not able to complete the payment. Okay? So you are diversifying your portfolio so that then you are well covered and cushioned 
by looking at various products that serve different needs. I think that is the essence of insurance. You are diversifying and bringing that yourself and saying, I'm well covered. Brother, you can add a few. All right. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Julius. And, and you've rightfully said that with life insurance, we are really looking at unforeseen events. And what we are trying to ensure or to guarantee to individuals who take life insurance policies is that when these unforeseen events happen, we are there to support you and to support your families as they go through this process. So just, for example, just touching on the education policy, where I was planning, I'll just use the similar example to accumulate 1 million shillings because my intention was to take my child to school maybe in the next 10 years. But as I build this fund, so say in year one, I've paid my 120,000. That's what I've been able to contribute so far. And unfortunately, I pass on. As Jubilee Life, we will pay 1 million shillings to your, to the guardian or to your child now to ensure that they are able to continue going to schools. And then at the end of 10 years, because remember your intention was after 10 years, I want my child to go to a certain school. And I looked at the fees and I saw 1 million shillings would be sufficient. So yes, we paid 1 million shillings. The child has progressed through their primary education. And now at, at high school, another 1 million shillings is being paid to them to ensure that they continue with the education. So think about it. You've paid 120,000, but as Jubilee, we've paid out 2 million shillings. I would want, as Maureen had mentioned, is to, to say that each product has its uniqueness in terms of what we are trying to achieve and what we are trying to encourage people to save towards. If it's planning for your retirement, that's why there's the flexibility in it. You put in money, it continues to earn interest on a daily basis, and you'll then ac accumulate it and access it at retirement age. But in the meantime, as you plan for the retirement, there are certain risks, and those are the risks that the life insurance cover would then help you mitigate against any financial losses or inability to meet those financial obligations. I would really want us to see the objective of taking these various products and not say that maybe one is better than the other because they all meet different needs. Back to you, Kalia. We are almost at the end. But before we switch to that, there is a key question which given a friend's experience this week and also seeing how a question has come in about insurance agents. What's their role in the process and how does Jubilee at least hold some of them accountable? There's a lot of complaints about them being middlemen and sometimes forcing some uh, clients to enter into some deals which they kind of at the end also regret in the process. Maybe Julius or someone can speak about the, the role of the agents and what at least what a client should watch out for when dealing with them. Okay, uh, thank you very much. I think the agents basically a part of a distribution system who then now, uh, like for example, Jubilee has around 4,000 agents and we used to spread the word out there about insurance. Now, agents, for them to be successful, it largely depends on how they are recruited, how they are trained, how they understand their products and the technology tools that support them in reaching out 
to various clients. So whenever you look at an insurance company and the agents, it is how they are recruited. Okay. Uh, look at them. I, I mean, they're the kind of identification cards they're given, even the way they talk to the client. So you can easily tell that agent has been trained well and understand the products they are selling. And also, I mean, like all sales, some of them do exaggerate and uh, we have actually sanctions for those who, who give misleading information to our clients and the law actually has guaranteed them uh, a portion of the premium. So it's a win-win situation between the insurance company and the agent. But the key thing really is recruitment and capacity building, continuous training so that they understand the product and the evolution of those products and making sure that they keep a good record of the client and maintaining good relationship for the period of the policy. Thank you. At this point now, I will wind up. Maybe you can get some closing comments. I will start with the people that Julius came with and then we'll finish with Julius. So maybe we'll start with uh, Pete and then Ruth uh, will brought up in that order. Peter. What we'll say finally is that as we work, let us prepare ourselves to be independent. The time that now we are tired of working, I mean the time that you attain the retirement age, let us plan to become independent. Thank you. Thank you for this. My closest remarks will be when we value something, we ensure it. And I would encourage as much as many to ensure their lives, to ensure their properties, to ensure everything that they value, the education of their children. Because if you value it, you will ensure it. That's what makes a difference and uh, contribute to the savings culture in this country. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And I just want to start by appreciating all of us who have been able to, to stay on and, and more so to our listeners. We really appreciate that you have given us an audience, very important subject. And so what I would really want to tell us all is that it's very important to make provisions for the future. We do not know about tomorrow. We do not know for how long we will have opportunity to make a gainful income. So let's really evaluate our lives, our current situations, and put aside funds. It's never too, too late to start, and there's no amount that is too little. So what I would just encourage us is anyone looking for a life insurance policy, just reach out to us. We will discuss your circumstances, and we will ensure that we give a product that is tailored to your need and work with you throughout the journey to ensure that you will then meet your financial obligations and to take care of any risks that may come in as you go through this journey of life. As I mentioned, we take care of an individual from cradle to the grave. So we will walk the journey with our policyholders throughout. And just to thank you again for the opportunity you've given us. Back to you, Makaya. Okay. I see Kanai's back. Uh, maybe you can also give us your comments. My comment is after this, I'd like everyone to go to the Jubilee website uh, to open a personal pension plan. It's never too late to start saving for your retirement. We accept any money, whatever you have, any Kenyan from all walks of life can contribute towards their personal pension plan so that you have a secure future and you do not live in poverty when you get to old age. So go to the Jubilee website, open a personal pension plan. 
Julius, uh, your closing thoughts. I know you're also reporting the full year results soon, uh, so maybe you can give us a little bit of context there and maybe let us know what to expect as the company reports and as the year also progresses, especially also give some advice on investing in an election year. So it's a lot to pack into the last few minutes, but give us your general thoughts on those. Okay, thank you very much, Mukai. I want just to thank everybody who joined the forum. It was always uh, no good to know that there are many Kenyans who are interested and are listening to greater knowledge about what insurance can do for you. And you consider those of you who are not already insured, you could come to the insurance space. And those who are already having policies, you can expand the, your policy portfolio. And I also want to dissuade people from a misconception that you need to be salaried to insure. Anybody can come as Maureen said, you can start, you reach a point where you can, but you are not able to continue, you stop, then you can restart. We are flexible. Insurance policies are flexible depending on your income flow. So please, whether you are running anything or a micro business or whatever you do, please buy an self. Remember, we are saying the life of business, you are saving and you have an insurance cover at the same time. That is the most important thing. And you never know, there are too many unknowns, unexpected events. And so therefore we must then take care of those unexpected events. I know Arambe is popular, but it has also enjoyed challenges. Many people are already Arambe fatigued. And so too many requests. And some of them are saying, why don't you guys just take an insurance policy and we use Arambe for what it was originally as a rallying call to help uh, needy Kenyans. And so therefore mine is just saying, please let us aim at reaching our saving rate of 30% of GDP. That's what we had said by 20, but instead of now moving towards 2030, we are uh, at 30%, we are deteriorating towards zero. 9% is really not good, and we need to sort of now postpone consumption. Everybody is, should be asked to start saving, and as my colleagues have explained, insurance is one of those instruments we can use to increase our savings rate. I want to assure you, it's your best home for your insurance. I've given you our, our investment portfolio, and that is a good reflection of the decision-making panel, right from management to the board, we really are very careful where we deploy your money. We want to make sure that whatever time you come for your money, that money is invested safely, well-diversified, and a very good return. We are not only looking at the return to the policyholders, we're also looking at the return to those who invested capital. As you know, we are a listed company. I know Mokaya has tempted me to say a few things. I'm not going to say them because we are a listed company. But what I, all I can say, you look at our AFIAN bank because we are expected by law to, yeah, to state our good. And even the, we look at them for the full year, shortly we'll be missing in the month of March what that result will be. And given our half year results, all I can say, 
we look forward to consistent results. And then being an election year, everybody then becomes a little careful. What I can say, uh, we don't anticipate any problem the election. So we will continue with our business as normal. So what I can say, continue saving. We don't expect any violence in the elections. The elections, our prediction is that it's going to be smooth and we'll transition to a new government, whichever way it goes in August. So for us, continue investing, continue saving, continue investing as normal because uh, we have reached that point really where our democracy is maturing and elections are not going to de determine so much, especially domestic uh, savings and investments. But if you look at their particulars, the Nairobi Security Exchange, there's still a lot of demand by foreigners. They are very active in our stock market. So if foreigners are confident, Kenyans should have also confidence in ourselves and so continue saving. We, we expect that our savings rate, if it goes up, we should be able to deploy that capital to then do many things. I know government has deployed a lot of that capital infrastructure. Probably we need now to start saying, can we deploy that capital in a different way? You know, in factories that employ young people. So those are things like corporate bonds. So really the future is good for Kenya, but we need to do our part. And our starting with our part, saving, saving, saving. If we save, 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 then, and we deploy that through very good investment, we are securing the future of our children. Back to you, Bokaya. Great. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Talia, closing thoughts? Yes. I just want to thank everyone who's joined to listen through the entire time to Julius and the Jubilee team. Thank you for taking the time to come and educate many of us on the different products that are there, on the importance of insurance. And yeah, I think what you've done tonight is contribute towards helping increase the insurance penetration rates in the country and hopefully you'll have a few calls tomorrow on a couple of products. We will have a Jubilee again uh, when they report results and hopefully after also Jubilee health. And so at some point also we'll have discussion around that also. I'm looking forward to more informative spaces. Our aim is to ensure that you get as much information as you can so that you can invest your resources well and uh, be well prepared for as you say, retirement and the future in terms of being an informed investor. Bye. Thank you all for joining us.